Abraham obtained the promise despite his blunders. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The father of faith wasn't perfect. He lied and said that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, and that lie stemmed from the fear of man. And then there's the whole business with the servant woman, Hagar. Abe blew it big time and repeatedly. And yet none of those mistakes put his standing with God in peril. Here's the third and final piece of Jim's sermon from the book of Hebrews called The Immutable Promise of God. The first verse, write it down, that's in chapter 5 and in verse 13. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But he is an infant. He has been born again. So the writer is assuming that he's writing to people who themselves are spiritually alive. Number two, when the author then begins to address this urgent warning to them, look to what he says in chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to, what's that next word? Maturity. Maturity. He doesn't say, let's go on to evangelism. He doesn't say, let's go back to the four spiritual laws. He doesn't say, let's go back to John 3.16. He says, you folks have retrograded back to infancy. You need to move on to maturity. That would be like, that, that's like me talking to you tonight. That's not like me going into a a funeral room where there's a dead carcass and saying to that dead carcass, you need life so you can become mature. They're dead. That analogy to the spiritual world is that the people who have not confessed faith in Jesus Christ have not been born again. They are dead. They are dead in trespasses and sins. You don't talk to them about maturity. You talk to them about the new birth. You see what I'm saying? So the challenge of the writer is to take infantile Christians, believers, who have become retrograde in their faith, and to stir them up and to motivate and to guide them into maturity. That's number two. Number three, look at verse seven. Ground that has drunk the rain that has often fallen on it, and that produces vegetation useful to those, uh, useful to those it is cultivated for, receives a blessing from God. That is saying that in the natural world, God gives rain, gives sunshine, seeds that are planted there produce a bountiful crop fruit. That's a harvest, that's beneficial, that's the blessing of God. The harvest is the blessing of God working through the natural laws of rain, sun, and seed. The soil produces fruit. And the writer calls that, it's a blessing from God. The blessing from God is the harvest that illustrates the principle of active soil. It's good soil. That's his illustration. And number three, look at number four, verse nine. 
Even though we are speaking this way, dear friends, the writer himself says, I'm talking to you in a peculiar way. I'm talking to you in a strategic way. Even though I'm talking to you, speaking to you this way, dear friends, in your case, we are confident of better things connected with salvation. That verse says, we have every confidence that you already are saved, and what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do is to stir you up to lay hold of better things that are, that are connected with salvation. We want you to grow up. We want you to be able to use healthy meat. We want you to become experienced in doctrine. We want you to be mature. We want you to grow up in Jesus Christ. We want you to continue to manifest the blessing of God in the result and, and harvest of your life. We are confident that you are believers. So this passage is written clearly to believers. We're not done yet. That's number four. Number five, look at verse 11. Now we want each of you, recipients of this letter, to demonstrate the same diligence for the final realization of your hope. What's that saying? It's saying our goal in writing to you, this whole passage has one basic purpose, and that is to stir you up to maturity and through maturity to have you focus upon diligence, giving diligence, focus, concentration for the final realization of your hope. What hope? The hope they have as believing people. What, what, what the writer is saying here is, remember I told you way back that I think this is the most, <laughs> this book of Hebrews is as prophetic as any book in your Bible, maybe more so. It focuses on eschatological truth. Now let me show you what that means. That means we want each of you to demonstrate diligence, discipline, habits, thoughts, maturity, for the final realization of your hope. What's that mean? That means what we hope because God promised. That's looking out there into the future and saying we have hope that Jesus is coming again. We have hope there's a new heavens and earth. We have hope, we have hope, we have hope, we have hope. Why? Because God promised it to us. Okay, if those are our hopes, if those are our gifts, if, those, if that's our future, then the author's saying, I want to stimulate you to, to demonstrate diligence for those things. I want you to be more concerned about those things than you are what your Social Security is paying you today. What your health status may be today. You see what he's saying? He is saying, I want you to reach out there based upon God's promise, and I want you to realize what things God's promised out there, the things that are, that are flowing out of and will be resulting from your faith in Christ, the final realization of your hope, resurrected body, uh, condo in heaven, uh, 
on and on and on and on. You reach out and lay hold of those things. It's like what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 3 when he said, set your affection on things above, not things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life, then you, will be a, then you will appear with him in a state of glory, in a glorified state. Set your affection on those things, not the things around you. And the more you realize, the more you believe, the more you lay hold upon the more you process confidence that those things the Bible promises are true, they're real, they're for sure, the more it's going to affect your conduct. You're going to be different. You'll be a little out of step with most of the people around you. Why? Because you're not living for this world. You're not living for things that pass. You are living for things that are yours, guaranteed to you as an heir of God part of his salvation plan. You see that? <laughs> well, at least I'm excited about it. The sixth thing, look at verse 12. Sixth thing, look. So that you won't become lazy, but imitators of those who inherit, there you go again, inherit the promises of God through faith and perseverance. Inherit. The writer wants these readers to wake up and realize you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing the magnificent promise of living out the reality of the promise God made to you in salvation. You are saved. Now lay hold upon those promises. Dream, think, plan, believe that those things are true. Well, look with me, please, at the seventh one. You'll find it over there in verse, verse 18. So that through two unchangeable things, which we've talked about, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, that's we who have received by faith the message of salvation based upon the finished work of Christ, and in that we have sought to have Refuge, refuge, escape from the burden, power, condemnation of sin. The Spirit of God living inside, giving us protection from those things in our present life and reward for other things out there in the future. We who have fled for refuge, notice the author includes himself in that. I believe the author is Paul. You may believe whatever. But Paul is saying, you're with me. I'm with you. My salvation and your salvation is the same salvation. And I want, I want you to know that God cannot lie. God has bound himself to those promises, those provisions, all that he promises for us in the package called salvation. God cannot lie. And we have fled for refuge into that place of salvation. We want you to have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. What's that mean? That means grab it. That means today act on the benefit of and appropriate the blessings of the promises God has made. Don't be indifferent to those things. 
but rather lay hold upon them. And of course we have this hope, he says, like an anchor. The hope is an anchor. The eighth thing from the passage is verse 20. Jesus has entered behind the curtain on our behalf as a forerunner. Now let me spell that out to you. For Jim Custer to die and go to hell, you got to figure out a way to bring Jesus down from the throne, defrock him of his deity, strip him of his resurrection. You got to figure a way to put Jesus in the grave permanently as a defeated foe. And you ain't never going to do that, friend. You are never going to dethrone Jesus. And the point is, he's already there. He's a forerunner. He represents me. I'm in him. I'm with him. <laughs> I was with a couple of very influential people some time back, and we were going to a certain place. And uh, when we got in, everybody knew I didn't belong in that company, you know, so I was getting kind of the cold shoulder. And <laughs> uh, anyway, one of the people I was with walked over to the person who was doing a little pestering and said, he's with me. Oh, ho, ho, ho. you talk about a change of venue. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Custer, yes, sir, Mr. Custer, please come this way. Follow right here. I mean, it was, it was spectacular. You ever been with somebody like that? He's with me. He's with me. Remember the time Neil sat down and took me to his ice cream shop and said, whatever that man wants, give it to him. And the guy behind the counter did that. Neil, I must have eaten 15 pounds of ice cream that day. I'd always wanted to do that. I'd always wanted to be, you know, able to afford that. That day, Neil Crabb afforded that for me. I was with him. He owned the place. Whatever he said applied to me. I kind of like being with those kind of people. Don't you? Well, I want to tell you, you got a friend in heaven. More than that, you got a representative in heaven. More than that, the Lord God Almighty, who paid a horrific price for your salvation, loves you with a love that is absolutely beyond calculation. He's already there. And when you get to heaven, every angel will know who you are. Oh, he's a friend of the boss. He's, 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 he's a friend of Jesus. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the point. The point is that the writer of this book is writing to the people who are hearing it and saying, Hey, look, you are already represented in heaven by Jesus himself. It's a fait accompli. It's all done. It's all over. Unless you can somehow turn that whole thing backwards, turn on the star ear and frustrate everything's God, and somehow get Jesus dethroned out of heaven and un unresurrected and all that. Unless, unless somehow you can do that, the devil wasn't able to do that. No archangel, no star. So you are as good as gold. Got one more. Look at verse 18. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received the promise. Here's the point. These people that Paul's writing to in this passage had received the promise. 
Now, don't become frustrated in waiting for the fulfillment. Abraham waited patiently. Oh, he made some real mistakes, real, I mean, some real, uh, uh, Abraham's not a model of perfection. You got to wait to Jesus to have that model. But even though Abraham made some mistakes, God had made a promise with Abraham, and God kept that promise. And because God keeps his promise, Abraham, after waiting patiently, obtained the promise. See what I'm saying? I'm saying if you take this whole passage, listen, if you take this whole passage, you take Hebrews uh, chapters uh, 5 and 6 out of your Bible, and you, and you soak it in a holy oil, and you squeeze it, I'll tell you what's going to bleed into your cup. These people who are the recipients of this letter are believers. And the writer is not, is not saying you're going to lose your salvation. What the writer is saying is you need to grow up. You need to mature. The clincher, I should have given you this, the clincher to the whole deal is that verse, in verse um, God is faithful. God is faithful. See it in verse 10? Chapter 6, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you show for his name and you continue to serve the saints. So, Father, this passage in no way shakes my faith, no way suggests an impossibility that I could somehow be lost, that I could somehow lose what I didn't earn. I could somehow become unborn again. I could somehow mess it up by some foolish, stupid decision I would make. It's your unconditional, unilateral covenant promise oath. And you are not unjust, and you cannot lie, and you are faithful, and we have the evidence of your faithfulness in Jesus himself, our forerunner, our representative, our hero, sitting right now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He's there. And he has pledged eternal grace, salvation, and life to all who will trust him. The writer of Hebrews obviously wants us to know that uh, we can do some stupid things. And we certainly can gamble away parts of your promises. For your word tells us that when we stand before you, we have the privilege of having our lives, our works evaluated by fire. And the promise that there are rewards given to those who persevere, to those who walk out their faith in faithful duty. Not to earn, but rather 
to express your love through their lives. And as we do that, you tell us that you will reward each person according to their works. Not salvation, but rewards. And you urge us on many pages of scripture to give diligent attention to our outworking of this incredible finished work of salvation. And that's what the writer is trying to do in this passage, Father. We know that. And we thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that we are secure in him forever and ever. And just as we did no good work to earn it, merit it, receive it, so we can do no bad work that will disqualify us from your full measure of eternal life. I'm glad it works that way, Father, because if it had anything to do with me, I'd, I'd fumble the ball before I got past the line of scrimmage. I do think things that are stupid, dumb, immature. I'd yield to pressures within and pressures without, and I wouldn't stay saved 24-hour period. I know that. You know that. Everybody in this room knows that. So I thank you that in your promise to us, as in your promise to Abraham, you do all the heavy lifting. You do all the providing. You do the saving. We simply receive in faith what you provided. I look forward to getting acquainted with Melchizedek soon and learning some things about Jesus and the special characteristics and benefits of his high priestly ministry on our behalf. Thanks for each of those who are here. Thank you for their hunger for your word. I pray that tonight's study would be a real blessing to them, an encouragement. Thanks for your gifts of grace, Lord Jesus. In your incredible name, we pray. Amen. Today, Jim finished his list of 10 clear statements that form the guardrails, if you will, of our interpretation of Hebrews chapter 6. We heard the finale of his sermon on the immutable promise of God. If you'd like to own the whole message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. God's Ultimatum Volume 1 is the name of the series. All 19 sermon CDs will come to you for your contribution of $66 or more. I'll give you ordering information next. And please pardon me if I state the obvious, but at Right Start, we depend on you, listeners who believe that the Word of God is living and active, and we need to get more of that Word out into the world. Thanks to everyone praying and giving, not everyone is prompted to give. But if you're led to help, you can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And find us on the World Wide Web at rightstartradio.org. You can donate securely on the site. 
and it's where we make loads of ministry content available to you. You can play current and past radio programs or play or download Jim's original sermons without broadcast breaks. And you can bring each day's show to you automatically as an Apple podcast. We'll show you how to do that. And there's a way to email us, all at rightstartradio.org. You won't be spammed or junk mailed if you contact us, rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Mysterious Melchizedek. What could this believing Gentile show us about Christ? We'll find out together if you'll join us for Thursday's Right Start. Thank you.